The views and opinions of this program are those of the hosts, guests, and callers. There is substantial risk of loss in trading futures and options, which you should carefully consider prior to trading. Bringing you the ag information you need, this is Market Talk, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Jesse Allen. Well, it was a turnaround Tuesday in many of the grain and oilseed markets, and we'll throw cattle and hogs in there as well. Crude oil trading up over 1%. It was a pretty good day on Tuesday. Thanks for joining us here on Market Talk. Glad to have you along for the conversation as we take a look at what is happening in the markets and issues impacting rural America. I'm your host, Jesse Allen. And yeah, turnaround Tuesday, plenty of green on the screen. Maybe these markets got a little oversold. We saw just some positive money flow on the day Tuesday as we are nearing the end of the month. Coming up on today's program, we're going to talk markets with Jacob Burks from agmarket.net. He's going to join us starting in segment two and provide his perspective on uh, what we're seeing in this market. Again, um, it's always a good day to talk about the markets when they are higher, <laughs> that is for sure. Looking forward to talking with Jacob coming up. I know, too, uh, he'll probably have some thoughts in cattle and hogs ahead of uh, cattle's uh, big inventory report that is due out Wednesday afternoon. So looking forward to that conversation. We saw plenty of economic data out on Tuesday morning as well. We got the uh, JOLTS report showed continued strength in the U.S. labor market with December U.S. job openings rising to 9.026 million, sharply above forecasts of 8.75 million and above November's upwardly revised 8.925 million. Now, after some signs of cooling this fall, December marks the highest job opening since September. The continued strength in the U.S. labor market has been a major driving force behind the inflationary pressure seen in the U.S. due to, in large part, to wage inflation. And the uh, much stronger than expected job openings reading provides uh, a lot of hawks with additional ammunition to point to as a sign of the need to hold rates higher for longer. The Fed kicked off their meeting, their two-day meeting on Tuesday. They'll wrap that up on Wednesday. Not expecting them to see uh, to make any rate adjustments here this month. We also got uh, the U.S. housing market. Uh, that continues to show strength with the morning housing price indexes from both the FHFA and the Case-Shiller showing an uptick in November as well. So plenty of economic news out there in the markets this week, and that's something we're to keep our eyes on pretty closely. Well, right now, let's get a little bit of market analysis from Mike Castle at StoneX, filleted for Arlen Suderman during Tuesday's midday commentary. And I, I talked to Mike about the turnaround Tuesday Asked him whether or not these markets maybe got a little oversold in grains, and that was part of the reason why we saw some of that money flow here on the day Tuesday, even though a lot of funds are still very short in these markets. Here's comments from Mike Castle with StoneX. Yep, I think you covered it pretty well there. Kind of, uh, like you said, most headlines still bearish for the most part, but uh, again, kind of dipping back in, similar like we saw last week, where kind of more of a fun-driven move. Getting back to some technical buy signals, kind of getting too oversold. You mentioned soybeans kind of leading the strength. They were really the ones that kind of pushed the lowest, pushed back into that oversold territory. It does seem like the funds want to keep that short. Um, you know, we saw some gains kind of early in midweek last week, but then obviously the Friday sell-off that continued yesterday. So kind of getting that turnaround Tuesday, seeing a bounce. But yeah, uh, like you said there, 
overall, not a whole lot of fundamental news to support the move here today. Well, also here, Mike, as we look at the outside markets, we know there's been plenty of news and headwinds there this week. Crude oil's up about another 1% here in midday trade. Anything you're watching in those outside markets, energies, fertilizer, stock market, et cetera, that uh, you're keeping an eye on here today? Yeah, kind of seeing a mixed bag on the energy side. Seeing some strength today in crude oil markets. We saw it yesterday, but wasn't able to hold it at close. Um, you know, kind of pushed to a high in a while, but then fell off. Uh, getting a little bit of that strength back here this morning, not quite to where we made it yesterday. But again, all the ongoing uncertainty, geopolitical and geopolitical tensions in the Middle East, obviously on the back of what happened to the U.S. troops in Jordan. Um, you know, awaiting the U.S. response, trying to figure out what that's going to look like, continues to kind of be uh, keeping the markets on edge there uh, to the upside. But at the same time, some you know, negative news, um, you know, overall. Uh, economic terms. Yesterday, we saw China's Evergrande getting ordered to liquidate. That kind of weighs on Chinese sentiment, which obviously has a big impact on energy prices with them being such a big importer. So kind of a mixed bag there. But again, you know, seeing some upside here today, um, you know, after being unable to hold that strength yesterday. And once again, that is comments with Mike Castle from Stone X filling in for Arlen Suderman for our midday commentary on Tuesday. Talked to Mike uh, right before the noon hour on Tuesday and got his thoughts of some of the uh, good action we saw in the markets on the day. Well, coming up here for the rest of the week, I'm going to be broadcasting live from the Cattle Industry Convention and NCBA trade show in Orlando, Florida. And at this year's convention, Vice President of Governmental Affairs at the National Cattlemen's Beef Association, Ethan Lane, talks about NCBA's latest policy work and more. Currently, Lane says one of the biggest issues in Washington, D.C. is the push and pull of an administration that is running an endgame of four years in office leading up to the next presidential election. Election. They do that through putting out regulations that we may or may not like. They do that through new policy proposals and showing aspirations for a second term. And then you have a Congress on the other side who is, is severely limited in their capacity to do much. You have very tight majorities down to one or two votes for House Republicans uh, and, and about the same in the Senate. Um, and that spells not a whole lot of real movement or action on a range of topics. Now, the appropriations process also continues, Lane said, as there have been a few extensions since September. You know, there is there is talk that uh, we're starting to see some progress. Uh, um, you know, they, they set some top line spending numbers for those for those individual uh, spending bills this week. That gives them some some uh, operating room. You know, now they know what they're what they're working with. Some of those big ticket items, Lane says, NCBA is focusing on in the appropriations process include maintaining the delay on electronic logging devices for cattle producers, endangered species issues, the Packers and Stockyards Act, and more. We're working for money to pay for uh, electronic tags. You know, USDA is working on a, a traceability rule right now. Um, our policy is, is that we prefer a, a voluntary solution to that issue, but we want to make sure if the government puts a mandate forward, we want to make sure there's money to pay for tags so that producers aren't bearing that cost. Well, looking into next year, Lane said there is a discussion regarding making changes to the estate tax as the dramatic increase in the limit for the death tax will expire at the end of next year. Also, uh, news out on Tuesday 
as uh, the National Cattlemen's Beef Association announcing support for the bipartisan Fair and Accurate Ingredient Representation on Labels Act of 2024, or the Fair Labels Act, introduced by Senator Roger Marshall of Kansas, Representative Mark Alford of Missouri, Representative Roger Williams of Texas, and Representatives Don Davis of North Carolina and Jonathan Jackson of Illinois. The bill would end deceptive labeling practices on fake meat products and ensure that consumers know exactly what they are buying at the grocery store. NCBA President Todd Wilkinson of South Dakota Cattle Producers says, quote, America's farmers and ranchers work hard every day to bring a high-quality, wholesome product to market. We're not afraid of a little competition, but it is unfair for lab-grown or plant-based fake meat products to trade on beefs. Good name, end quote. I'm sure that will be one of many topics on the minds of folks at the Cattle Industry Convention and NCBA Trade Show. Again, we're going to be spending the rest of the week there in Orlando, Florida, covering the event. Looking forward to all of the conversations. All right, coming up next here on Market Talk, we're going to take a look at Tuesday's market action and get thoughts from Jacob Burks with agmarket.net on the way right after the break. If you miss an episode of Market Talk, you can listen back to the show anytime. Just search for Market Talk on your podcast platform of choice, and you can hear past episodes of the program on demand. Make sure to subscribe to the Market Talk YouTube channel. You can watch our latest interviews with top market analysts in the country, find bonus content, and much more. It's easy. Just go to youtube.com slash at Market Talk Egg and hit the subscribe button, or you can search for Market Talk Egg on YouTube. you informed with the latest market information for your operation. This is Market Talk. Now, back to Jesse Allen. Well, we saw plenty of green on the screen on Tuesday's trade, especially in that grain and oilseed uh, sector with uh, a nice recovery from Monday's kind of just bearishness. Uh, we got cattle and hogs in on the action as well. We could call it a turnaround Tuesday. Joining us to talk about it, Jacob Burks with agmarket.net. Jacob, always good to talk to you, buddy. And uh, we were joking a little bit off air. Hey, you get a good day. Uh, a lot of positivity right. in the markets on Tuesday. And it's a, it's a good thing to see, isn't it? Yeah, I think my teammates are usually finding the bad day and saying, hey, Jacob, go ahead. But uh, I tricked them, I guess, today. And uh, <laughs> after a terrible day yesterday, so here I am. We get to finally talk about some uh, some positive action in the grain markets, follow through, like, like you said, in the livestock, which was just you know very, very strong today. So, man, luckiest guy in the world. I get to talk to you on Tuesday and see you on the weekend. So this is <laughs> going great. Yeah, you guys have your uh, conference coming up, the Farming for Profit on Price Conference happening in Nashville, uh, starting up on Sunday and going into Monday, and uh, that's going to be a great time. I'm looking forward to being there, and I know uh, we're, we're going to talk about that a little bit more here, uh, give another plug later in the show. You guys have a lot on the lineup, but in terms of the markets, let's let's stick with that here first. Okay. As, as we mentioned, uh, plenty of green on the screen uh, on Tuesday. To me, Jacob, across the grains, it, it really felt like a case of market sentiment finally said, okay, this thing has gotten a little too oversold. We kind of overdid it, so let's put a little bit of premium back in. Let's get some money flow back into grains, but we didn't necessarily overdo that either. 
because there are still a lot of bearish headwinds out there. So I don't know, kind of a double-edged sword, but it just felt like the markets got a little too oversold on Tuesday. I feel like it. I think a lot of the a lot of the analysis right now has to do with okay, who's in the market and who's playing, uh, and, and it comes back to the COT report, the commitment of traders. Uh, what kind of positions we're seeing from fund money, what type of positions we're seeing in the commercial to where you're looking at, you know, the large talk that we've looked at through the first of the year and through the uh, January 12th report was where's the grain at and who's holding on to it. Uh, I think you came through uh, a, a, the weekend. I think that we had started off a little bit negative after seeing what four or five days last week where we uh, were three or four days where we, we had some positive closes in the grains. And then it felt like a, such a letdown on Monday here that that there was a lot of farmer uh, producer selling. I think there was a lot of angst uh, as far as, hey, maybe that was our bounce. That was our one opportunity. And, and, and you did uh, just from talking to producers, just looking at some of our commercial entities where hey, there was there was some uh, a large amount of farmers that were willing to take that, uh, you know, that risk off the table uh, and get some sold there. So. You know, hopefully they were they were calling us and telling us about it so that we could get some type of re-ownership or some type of safe re-ownership plan ahead of it. Uh, but, you know, technically this thing's kind of boiled up to where we see maybe a potential double bottom. Uh, you went down to the bottom side of the channel and some soybeans. Uh, so I wish Brian Split was here with you so he could continue on about the technical analysis here. But there's some major technical support, supportive uh, uh, indicators that, that, that we rebounded on a little bit here today. Uh, and, and, you know, right now you have a kind of a pendulum swing in the grain markets where, you know, probably a little bit overdone yesterday as the selling piled on. Uh, we, we found some recovery, you know, to, to see us recover 26 cents in one day. Uh, this could be a little bit of overreaction too here. Too. So uh, we'll just kind of see how that plays out. But, you know, volume wise, it feels like a, a decent, strong day here. Uh, and, and there was a lot of, you know, a lot of players in, uh, involved today. Well, you kind of uh, you talked about this a little bit, and I want to expand upon this. Uh, you know, even if we maybe overdid it to the upside a little bit on Tuesday, these are chances and opportunities to reward the market a little bit, reward the rally here, considering how price action has been and how much uh, you know there is out there the countryside that's unpriced right now in terms of bushels, right, Jacob? I mean, talk about this a little bit. This is a, a short opportunity here potentially to at least get something going if you don't have much going, right? Uh, yeah, I mean, when you go back and you start looking at, at the position that the funds are in, and mostly in, not funds, but the commercial position and how much uh, uh, grain is not sold this time of year, uh, it's, it's kind of uh, eerie, I guess you could say. And, and just the correction of that with the funds being so short, you know, you can see that 20, 25 cent bounce uh, uh, just because of that without having any fundamental news. Uh, I mean, you, you you look around here, there wasn't a lot of fundamental uh, news, weather in South America, uh, you know, big export sales, anything like that that you're used to seeing from the fundamental side that said, hey, here's an opportunity to buy corn or here's an opportunity to buy beans, wheat. None of that stuff really happened. I mean, we can look at certain things that that, that are light out, you know, political issues, uh, you know, any type of, uh, you know, fundamental reason. Or there, there's some out there and there's some some boiling that, that if they take place, we will have that uh, that strength. But inevitably, you, you as a producer and you're holding on, you're one of that 64% that still has on-farm stocks that are that are unpriced. This is something that you need to be looking at. Where, what kind of measurement? What are you looking for uh, to to this for this market to reach to to make a, to, to take advantage of this rally? So I agree. 
Yeah. Well, and I think about this too. It's, it's all about having a marketing plan and minimizing that risk. And we talk about this all the time, Jacob, uh, you know, these price levels, although they're not, you know, we're not talking $6 cord and $14 beans. These are still fairly decent price levels with plenty of potential to go lower. I mean, I, I've heard some people chattering that, you know, we could start seeing some threes on the corn side here, both in terms of the balance sheet, if we have a good production year again in the U.S. and on the on the board. So, I mean, just thinking about that, it's all about having a marketing plan and not just burying your head in the sand right now, right? Right. You know, we've, we've spent a lot of time, you know, our whole team going around to producer meetings and talking to producers. And I think Matt put a tweet out there that said the two major threes that we're looking for is the three B and Bush will carry out the next year and probably a three in the futures price. Uh, he just wouldn't say it. Uh, and, and I think that's something that you, you do have to be to be uh, careful of right now is, is making sure that what what is your plan going forward and, and where are you at? And I always I, at these meetings, you know, the one thing that I always tell people is, is if you don't have an order in, you probably don't have a plan. And I think that's something now when you look at whether you're, you've done a great job and made you know good sales, but you still have those bushels left. Like there's still a plan that needs to take place uh, if you've done a good job. If you've done a bad job or a lack of selling and, and, you, and you're in a position where you're getting to a profitability that's maybe there, maybe not. That's where it's really important that you look at, hey, how can I put that flexibility in plan and even you know learn what flexibility is and what we're talking about and putting those floors in place to where if we do continue to get a 20, 25 cent rally, you have to have the order in. You have to put something in place that's going to take advantage of it uh, when you're asleep at night and markets are trading overnight. So you have to have those orders in place. And it's not necessarily, we're not saying, oh, you got to sell the farm here. You got to get, you know, everything sold and, you know, looking at 24, you know, you got to get, you don't need to get 75% sold or anything, but just doing maybe something and using the tools to your advantage is, is yeah. what it's all about, right? Absolutely. I mean, you, you, it goes down to as small as how to use your, your stories that you have. I mean, even if you have sales made that are in, 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 uh, uh, you know, March timeframe right now and it's in, and it, Maybe it's going to pay you enough to hold it out to July. And logistically, that's what you need to do with your storage. Hey, what kind of spread do I want to look at? What do I want to capture in the carry uh, and, and roll my roll my future sale out to, to June or to July? So there's there's you know managing that side of the of the business and first of all treating your your operation as a business, treating that operation as hey, this is you know I have a certain amount of income, I have a certain amount of profitability that I want to take advantage of. Am I there or not? Uh, and, and knowing what that number is, is key in you being able to, to make a decision because anytime you see a bearish market, it creates and breeds indecisiveness. Uh, and if we continue to sit and just do nothing in these type of markets, uh, you know, the, in a bearish market, you continue to lose value, especially in what you have to uh, on storage. Well, once again, we are joined today by Jacob Burks from agmarket.net. We're going to continue our market conversation with Jacob coming up here after the break. A few of the closes on Tuesday, March corn up seven and a half, four forty-seven and three quarters. New crop December corn was five and three quarters higher, four eighty and a quarter. March soybeans twenty-four and a half higher, twelve eighteen to three quarters. New crop November beans seventeen higher, eleven ninety-seven and a quarter. Soybean meal for March up eight seventy a ton, three sixty-three. March bean oil was up four. 45 points, 46 even. 
March Chicago wheat up 12, 605 and a half. July up 10 and three quarters, 620 and a quarter. March Kansas City wheat up 12 and a half, 630 and three quarters. July up eight at 623 and a half. March spring wheat up six and a half, 699 and three quarters. July up six and a quarter at 711. February live cattle up 65, 178.02. April up 52, 181.75. March feeder cattle 270 higher, 241.32. April up 240 at 247. February hogs up 57, 75.85. And April up 147 at 84.90. Also looking at a few of our other outside markets, uh, crude oil up again over 1% on the day. Meantime, in the cotton market, March up 52 points, 84.78. July cotton up 48 points, 86.83. March oats up 11 to three quarters at 377. All right, we're going to talk more with Jacob coming up about the livestock trade cattle inventory report coming up on Wednesday and more. We'll be back with Jacob Burks from agmarket.net here on Market Talk right after this. Make sure to subscribe to the Market Talk YouTube channel. You can watch our latest interviews with top market analysts in the country, find bonus content, and much more. It's easy. Just go to youtube.com slash Egg and hit the subscribe button. Or you can search for Market Talk Egg on YouTube. If you miss an episode of Market Talk, you can listen back to the show anytime. Just search for Market Talk on your podcast platform of choice, and you can hear past episodes of the program on demand. The views and opinions of this program are those of the hosts, guests, and callers. There is substantial risk of loss in trading futures and options, which you should carefully consider prior to trading. Keeping you informed with the latest market information for your operation. This is Market Talk. Now, back to Jesse Allen. We are having a conversation here today on Market Talk with Jacob Burks from agmarket.net. Jacob, uh, a couple other thoughts here on the grain side, and then we'll uh, switch over to livestock. But I, I look at, you know, new crop corn in that 480 range here, wrapping up Tuesday's trade. Uh, you look at on the soybean side, we again had that really nice rally in beans, double-digit gains in the front months in soybeans on the day Tuesday. And uh, I'm just pulling up that uh, Novi 24 contract. But, you know, I guess where I'm going with this is that acreage battle is already starting to be talked about here in the U.S. for spring 2024, uh, November 24 beans, 11.97. So you know, right at that $12 mark. But I guess, what are you hearing going to producer meetings right now in terms of what this acreage battle could look like? I've heard a lot of we're going to stick with our normal rotations, quarter beans, but some of those marginal changes could happen on the fringe acres. Sure. But I guess you know. To me, it feels like this is already starting to come into focus quietly as a backdrop to all the other things that are impacting the market right now. What's your thoughts on this acreage battle already starting to kind of heat up a little bit? Uh, you know, I mean, I always say every year you have an acreage battle. Sometimes in a down market, it's, you know, who loses the most acres? Uh, you know, who's what kind of value do you, are you going to withstand to keep higher just so those acres don't fall out of that commodity? I think the the first thing that I look at is the is the spring wheat acres. Like, what's going to happen there? We have a lot of producers up in the Dakotas and up in the Red River Valley there, and uh, it, it's something that uh, I guess pivotal as far as what other specialty crops, what other how much goes to canola. Uh, there, there's some some of those things that we have to worry about and, and not go into corn or bean production. 
Uh, but with the com continued capacity that we're seeing, I think that's going to keep acres stable uh, enough in the soybeans. If you had asked me five years ago what I think in 24, uh, I, I would have said we're growing just less and less beans and we grow more and more corn. And you know, Brazil's going to grow all the beans. We'll grow all the corn uh, and try to supplement it that way. Uh, but over the last couple of years, we've found a little bit more demand through the soybeans. Now we're talking about, you know, some real demand. So I, I do feel like the 178 between corn and beans is, is, is you know, where everybody seems to be. Uh, it's going to continue to be more difficult for us to reach those 178 numbers, 178 million acres combined. Uh, but I think, you, you know, right now what we're looking at is the, is the 91 to 92. So somewhere in that 91 and a half million acres in corn. Uh, on the on the, the the bean side, you're probably going to be down in that uh, you know 84, 85 level uh, you know of, of the soybeans. So I mean that that'll be big there. I, I think that you know these will change uh, quite a bit. I think the you know the USDA will come up in their budgeting uh, uh, forum here uh, in, in February, and I think that'll give us a pretty good insight of what they're thinking. Uh, but you're seeing a lot of different ranges, pretty wide ranges as far as uh, planted acres numbers uh, from a lot of the independent analysts. A lot of economic stuff this week, uh, plenty of data out here in the U.S. that I know is being watched in the outside markets. Plus, we got the Fed meeting ongoing right now. You throw in there uh, the China Evergrande news over the weekend that really got us off to a sour note Monday. The geopolitical tensions in the Middle East and the impacts on the energy markets. Uh, it seems like I could kind of take all of those items and and kind of bundle it into one big bearish headwind, though, that is still out there this week for these markets. What do you think? Well, I think, yeah, it's, you know, politically uh, and, you know, what we're seeing going on overseas is, is probably doing more for disruption in freight and, and who these exporters are even looking at uh, to import grain from. Uh, as you know, you, you look at the the shipment routes that they're even taking with the pan the problem in the Panama Canal. Uh, so you do have a lot of uh, you know, extra problems in the world. Uh, you know, you know, besides weather in South America and what kind of production that we're looking at down there, uh, you do have a lot of things that are affecting our you know our, our the value of our commodities. Uh, you go in to look at the first time that we've seen imported soybeans into uh, you know the the North Carolina area into to produce plant uh, specifically. You know we're used to seeing that whenever you have this type of uh, uh, dynamics in the market, but just not this time of year. Uh, so there's some some odd things going on. I, I do feel like we're going to see a quiet rate cut here. Uh, value of our dollars kind of picked back up a little bit. That's made it a little bit more difficult for us on the export. But we're at that point now in soybeans where it's not even hardly looking at exports, uh, not, not anticipating any surprises on the export corn side of it. We've been strong. Uh, but yeah, I think going forward as far as how to, to manage through this, I mean, I think you, you, you need to prepare yourself for what could come uh, in, in, in these geopolitical risks that we're seeing. Uh, don't do anything to boost uh, the value of our grain, that's for sure. Let's talk livestock. Cattle inventory report is going to be out Wednesday afternoon after the close of trade, the biannual report. This could be a, a biggie here uh, in terms of market direction. And you look at cattle and hogs both on the day Tuesday. Good price action feeders, the leaders to the upside on Tuesday. Your thoughts in cattle here as we kind of gear up for whatever this cattle inventory report is going to tell us, Jacob. Well, I, I think the cash market's been strong in, in all the livestock markets, and that's kind of what the markets, you know, the grain, the futures markets have had to uh, to pursue. Uh, if you if you just look across the the sale barns and the feeder cattle, I mean, they're just exploding, and and I think a lot of that more has to do uh, with with these uh, potential 
you know, farmers, you know, wanting to walk grain off the uh, off the farm as opposed to as opposed to feed, you know, I suppose to sell it. So I think that that's something that you're seeing a small portion of, but it's it's still uh, it takes some of these regional sale barns and, and, and increases the price, increases the demand for for what's out there. And we've heard the story. We know how, how few of cattle are available. Uh, you know, we've, we've pushed placements forward so quickly last fall that now you're looking into you know what's available out there, and it's just a less limited, you know, more limited supply. I think when you look into the report, uh, I mean, the numbers are out there and all over, but you're looking at obviously at a at a, at a smaller uh, anticipated uh, you know calf crop uh, down you know, if, if 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 we hit that number of what 33.3 million uh, or less than 30 30 million, I believe is what we're looking at. Uh, that's anticipated to be down 2.4 percent. That's going to be the smallest one since 1941, smallest calf crop. You know, as far as the total cattle, you're looking at the smallest uh, inventory since 1951. Those are huge numbers. I mean, it are huge, I guess not huge numbers. And, uh, you know, that, that's a really can uh, surprise market. But the thing about it is, is that information is in the market. You've seen what we've done over the last couple of days in cattle and, or in cattle and feeder cattle. And I think any type of surprise uh, will be what comes in those numbers if there's any type of you know, larger uh, than expected inventory. Yeah, to your point about the cash market, uh, feeder demand at sale barns continues to be pretty solid here. And I think that's a great point you raised that just, you know, watching this overall, yes, we have a hard-hitting report out Wednesday, but to your point, the cash market's still holding up nicely here. And and whatever this report gives us, most likely it's going to probably be viewed as supportive long-term, but maybe in the short run, you know, like we've seen with some of the cattle on feed reports, maybe in the short run, it's it's something that is a little bit of a depression on the futures price. It's hard to say, Jacob. Well, it's, it's always hard to tell how the market's going to react from a big dump of data, right? So there's a lot of expectations out there. There's a lot of foreseen, you know, the way we do, you know, cattle and what we've seen, we have a pretty good idea where it's going to be. So for, for a target to miss is, is uh, uh, you, you know, usually not there on just total inventory. Uh, but I would say that that it, it, you never really know exactly how the reaction is going to take place in that futures market. Uh, you know, in, in a lot of that has to do with with the the players in the market and how the funds react. And, and they have uh, depleted their long position over the last several months. Uh, and what we've seen in the market reaction here lately is probably something that has been building that long position back uh, amongst the live cattle. We'll see that on on Friday of where we get to today. Uh, but I, I would say that. When you look at you know five to ten dollars higher last week in, in some of these feeder cattle, you know these regional barns, uh, you know, the the stories out there that 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 producers the demand's high for what we have. If you look at the reasons why, uh, you know box beef demand pops right back up. Uh, we see some economic data that's probably going to con continue strengthen our economy. So there's a lot of positive things that uh, that have been taking place over the last you know week, two weeks, three weeks, uh, and, and in the in the protein sector as a as a whole. Uh, so you, you can't talk about livestock right now without, uh, you know, watching the, the hogs and the cattle move together. You know, a lot of that has been mostly on the uh, the beef and the pork side. You've, you've seen uh, box beef rally back over three, you know, 300. You've seen the, the pork index just continue to, to gain value, you know, pulling the futures up. Especially today, I think we're up a dollar fifty in the uh, mm -hmm. annual contract in the hogs. Yeah, and, and to your point on the hogs, I, I wanted to go there too. I know that you know futures 
uh, looking at some of those deferred months. You know, we're well into the 80s on some of these deferred contracts here as well. Uh, and, and I know that in, in the case of Hogs, this market has been steadily kind of rallying here since the beginning of the year. Uh, to me, though, uh, specifically for Hogs, Jacob, it feels like demand both domestically and internationally is going to be very, very key for this hog market here the next couple of months. Yeah, I think the hog market, I mean, so so the hogs are the, you know, sometimes the commodity that you like the uh, the stepchild, nobody wants to talk about at times. And, and a lot of it's due to the vertical integration and, and lack of open negotiation. But I will say that it is a supplementary contract to cattle. I mean, you, you've seen pork, you've seen, you've seen uh, poultry, you know, try to take advantage of, of the uh, rise in beef, right? So it's, you know, try to be on the, the front parts of the, the retail, you know, shelf and, uh, you know, they've done a, a very good job of it. But when you look technically, the hog market has also seen some pretty good support. We broke out of a channel in the front months. So technically there's some, there's some opportunity there as well. Uh, you know, I think that the the you know looking at the domestic demand that we've seen, you know, we've seen kill you know behind last year, but rallying, you know, being stronger kill here the last couple of weeks. I mean, especially recovering from uh, the the coldness snap and and the deep freeze that uh, that we had a big cutback in both you know beef and poultry or beef and pork. But long term, I, I think demand uh, you know for in, in exports, you know, were, were a little bit stronger last week. So our global demand of our product. Uh, is going to be key when you've seen you know the European uh, exports uh, you know you know fall back here over the last couple of months as well. Well, Jacob, saving the best for last. Give us a final plug for the uh, conference coming up this weekend in Nashville. I know you guys have an awesome lineup. All the Ag Market team, Eric Snodgrass, Randy Dowdy's going to be there. The list goes on and on. And I'm sure that uh, you know, folks, if they want to book a plane ticket you're not going to turn yeah. them away here yeah. for the conference coming up in a couple of days right oh, we have had some cancellations i'll sneak you in if you uh, if you give us a quick call uh <laughs> but uh you know dan bossy from ag resources brian burke out of our jsa david hightower it's i don't know if everybody owed owed the uh, matt favors or what but we were able to get a lineup that's just incredible uh it's it's a really really good lineup to, of, of speakers you know this this positive day in the grains would make me excited to go uh there for a while i was wondering how i was going to get out of it if the grains kept falling uh but we're uh you know we're fun time in nashville nashville's always fun that's for sure uh but you know i think more so is just you know farmer sentiment right uh we've seen some you know a couple of good years we've been around talking to producers uh, over the last month and you know, realizing, hey, there's some real need for marketing advice right now. Uh, it's been pretty uh, pretty easy to sell at high prices because prices were high. Now we've got to make sure that we're looking at the profitability, and that's what this conference is all about. Well, you can find more details on the conference or reach out to the agmarket.net team very easily online and get some of those questions you might have answered, agmarket.net. Jacob Burks, good to talk with you. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you in a couple of days in Nashville. Appreciate it. Hey, Jesse, thanks for having me. I look forward to it. All right, we'll be back with more here on Market Talk. We'll wrap things up on the way right after the break. If you miss an episode of Market Talk, you can listen back to the show anytime. Just search for Market Talk on your podcast platform of choice, and you can hear past episodes of the program on demand. Make sure to subscribe to the Market Talk YouTube channel. You can watch our latest interviews with top market analysts in the country, find bonus content, and much more. It's easy. Just go to youtube.com slash at Market Talk Egg and hit the subscribe button. Or you can search for Market Talk Egg on YouTube. 
keeping you informed with the latest market information for your operation. This is Market Talk. Now, back to Jesse Allen. And welcome back to Market Talk. Thanks for sticking with us here today. Appreciate the time from Jacob Burks with agmarket.net joining us for market analysis. And again, looking forward to being with them at their conference coming up next week in Nashville, Tennessee. The Farming for Profit Not Price Conference happening on Sunday and Monday. More details online at agmarket.net. Well, let's take a look at a few more news headlines before we run out of time here today on Market Talk. Well, in 2008, Korean citizens protested the return of U.S. beef to the market following a 2003 finding of BSE. Now, according to the latest Consumer Perception Survey, a record 70% of Korean consumers say U.S. beef is safe and nearly 70% say they intend to consume U.S. beef. U.S. Meat Export Federation Vice President of Asia Pacific, Jihae Yong, has the details. That was possible because of the uh, collaboration with the U.S. exporters and Korean importers, Korean retailers and food service and so on. I think the um, confidence on the U.S. beef safety provides another level of assurance for the Korean consumer. And that is backed up by the statistics that U.S. beef has been the dominant beef supplier to Korea market for the last seven years. Reaching that level of acceptance has not been easy. The most effective way is to make them try and make them feel comfortable when they eat U.S. beef. The communication message through their friends or their mother or their colleagues would be much more efficient than the communication through the professionals like a nutritionist or the the animal scientists or the government official. Korea has been the leading value market for U.S. beef the past two years, a feat that could not have been accomplished without the support of the Beef Checkoff Program and USDA. I want to take a moment to say thank you to the beef producers and then investment for the long term and eventually it pays off in Korea market. Korea became the largest destination of U.S. beef and that is possible of the trust and the uh, investment from the uh, beef producers. So very much appreciated. And we hope to have the continued investment and the support from U.S. beef producers. For more information, please visit usmef.org. Well, Jolene Brown is an author, speaker, and farmer from West Branch, Iowa, who's also called the Dr. Phil of Agriculture. She speaks on the challenges of working with family members in the business of farming and the importance of clear communication. One of the most important topics is looking at farming as a business first. I've been at this over three decades, and the way I find that you honor the family is by doing the business right. Our mindset lends to everything for the family, and we become family first. We don't want to rock the boat or get anybody mad. We hope things are going to be okay. And so you are continuing on a habit, assumption, a hope, and a tradition. And sometimes that does work out. I call that lucky. But what I taught them today is that to become a business first family does not say the business is more important than the family. It does not demean the family, but it says we love and honor you so much. Let's get this work done. And then so not be overwhelmed. We always have to start where there's a point of pain. So there were a lot of triggers today and you never know who's going to go, oh my gosh, she's been sleeping under my bed. And so as one lady said to me, you've been under my bed, you heard everything that we're thinking about. 
A lack of communication does more to destroy a family farming business than almost any other factor. Harboring this inside of you leads to one of the biggest things that breaks up families and business, and that is silence. Silence is the greatest destroyer of family and business. Therefore, we're looking for transparency. We're looking for things that are legal. We're looking for things that make money sense. But it cannot just be inside and only one person know about it or nobody knows about it because everybody else then is on the limb. They don't know what's going to happen. Is it going to be cut off? Am I going to be able to have fruit that multiplies here? And so we have to watch out for silence. That is one of the biggest destroyers. And there are multiple things families can do to help ensure success, according to Brown. One suggestion is for the younger generation to work off the farm for a few years to learn lessons about working with people outside the family. Well, you learn about 30 lessons when you have a non-family boss, like showing up on time. You know what your job is, which is really great. You know what not to be like. You learn how to work with people you don't even like. You learn you get paid. You learn you get a vacation. Well, there's 30 lessons that you learn. And parents aren't the best teachers because it's all habit and assumption. And as one senior generation said to me, he should know how to do it. He grew up here on the farm. I said, so what is it he doesn't know how to do? How's he going to learn how to do it? Because what you learned through those years is not what you're doing now on the farm. And you can find more information online. Just go to jolenebrown.com. Well, the recent Dairy Strong Conference in Green Bay, Wisconsin, covered several topics important to the U.S. dairy industry. Tim Trotter, CEO of the Dairy Business Association, says the industry is watching as the federal milk marketing order hearings get closer to wrapping up. I mean, obviously, this is still on farmers' minds. What is the net going to be for our farms? And obviously, they're just winding up the hearings, and it'll probably be several months before we get anything back out of AMS with what the secretary is thinking. But, you know, I think one of the takeaways I have, there's not a united voice. There's not consensus as we thought there might be. But again, it's a very diverse industry. There's so many geographical challenges a lot of different regions have. So they have their reasons, their business case for why they like or dislike something. Trotter is also CEO of Edge Dairy Cooperative and says the co-op is proposing more flexibility in the FMMOs. We need to rethink this and how we look at federal orders and you know we're really advocating for flexibility for all the orders so that they can be viable for the people they serve. So Federal Order 30, Upper Midwest, little that's being talked about in the federal order hearings right now is going to have any major good impact on us. You know, we were hoping for more risk management tools so farmers can manage their risk. But really for us to think out of the box, we need to have more authority at the federal order level, each order level to have more independence and be able to innovate and think of ways that they could be a value add. And once again, that is Tim Trotter with the Dairy Business Association and Edge Dairy Cooperative. And finally here today on Market Talk, news coming out from Corteva and John Deere, a new partnership between the two companies announced on the day Tuesday as they are partnering to deliver customized agronomic solutions to farmers. Now, the partnership combines the digital and onboard capabilities of John Deere, the global leader in intelligent farm equipment, with the agronomic expertise and analysis of Corteva, the global leader in agricultural solutions, looking to deliver precise, customized agronomic insights to the John Deere equipment platform and to farmers for improved productivity and sustainability. Now, Brian Lutz, Vice President of Agricultural Solutions at Corteva, says, quote, We are focused on making it as easy as possible for farmers to unlock even more value through data-driven scientific recommendations based on the unique characteristics of their farm. And he says this partnership does exactly that. Well, we are out of time here on today's Market Talk. Again, coming up here the rest of the week, we will be broadcasting from the Cattle Industry Convention in Orlando, Florida. Looking forward to being there on the ground. For now, though, we're out of time. Thanks for listening to Market Talk. I'm Jesse Allen. Have a great rest of your day.